Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. The Cardinals are 87 and 69 on pace to win 90 games. Ben, we usually start these shows off uh, asking, what did we learn? Often that's after kind of a middling stretch of games where the team went like seven and six or something (laughs) like this. Uh, Today, I'm asking you that question after a run of success not seen in our lifetimes or in the lifetime of any Cardinal fans, and uh, a run of success that they'll will be remembered long after we're both dead. So, Ben, during this last stretch of games, uh, which met all of those criteria, uh, what, what did you learn? Um, that uh, going on historic winning streaks is really fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's just been really remarkable. Um, how different it feels watching the team right now uh and playing the cubs doesn't hurt you know the cubs are terrible and so uh you never really feel you're out of the game against the cubs but the amazing thing was you didn't really feel like they were out of the game against the brewers either and they weren't um you know and and going into milwaukee and and really eating their lunch uh the way that the cardinals did you know, you, you start to believe that maybe this team uh, could make a little run. Now they're they're going to have the coin flip game. So, you know, really uh, only your most degenerate gamblers would bet on that. So I'm going to say, you know, all, all bets are off on that. But if they if they are able to sneak into the, the division series, um, you know, I've, I don't think I would want to play them at this point in time. It just seems like everything is clicking and it's not going to click through the end of October like this, obviously, but this team seems to have a confidence about it that has been lacking most of the year. Uh, and it, it really seems to have spread and is infectious, uh, in particular, Harrison Bader doing basically professional wrestler type things, uh, on the baseball field. (laughs) Um, and, uh, it's, it's just been a lot of fun and it's just one of those things where, you know, I could sit here and say, well, I learned X, Y, and Z, but this is something that you just sit back, bask in and enjoy. Cause the last time a national league team did this was 1951, you know, like this is when you say it's historic, like it's not an exaggeration at all. I mean, this is, this is something that never happens and and when it does uh you get a book made into a movie about the win streak like moneyball you know 21 games and the cardinals aren't there yet but like it is uh just an amazing run uh and just has been so much fun i i just i'm just i feel like all cardinals fans are just kind of glowing right now uh absolutely well speaking of speaking of movies i have been thinking about uh baseball philosopher and minor league home run champion crash davis who of course uh reminded us all to respect a streak because they don't happen very often and you know this has been one of those situations and this is just uh you know it's just it's crazy to watch it happen and you you know that it's just um it's it's something that you know literally as we said at the top 
the, no Cardinals team has ever done this. And it's, it's very unlikely that we'll see a Cardinals team do this again. So I just feel like you, I feel so incredibly lucky to have watched this and, and just kind of the, you know, the little moments along the way. I know last time, I think when we talked about what are we going to be looking for? And I mentioned that, you know, this is the time of year that I do let myself indulge in narrative watching because you're in these just short little windows of time where, um, you know, narrative moments really do matter because they're not, we don't need to amplify them to say, oh, we're seeing big changes in who a player is or things like that. But just, you know, the a, a shift here and there, a win here or there can mean you're over the hump or not for, you know, making the playoffs or things like that. And, you know, this streak has just had so many of these little, um, you know, moments. Um, these last few days, m- many of them involving, uh, you know, Cubs pitchers while pitching in the winning runs. <laughs> in the yes. <laughs> no, but um, the home runs, too. Like, it's just like... Yeah. Uh, it feels like not only are they hitting home runs, it's like it's it's like video game home runs. <laughs> like you, you know, it like is. Goldschmidt's today was just a monster blast. And of course Tyler O'Neill's all are, but like it just seems like they're even more so over the last few weeks. And Harrison Bader too. I mean, he's had some absolute yeah. moonshots and it's just been unbelievable. Like uh, it's all it's all been so fun and just like uh, electric, really. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, you know, uh, of course, something else that's happened during this streak is this has been the first Cardinals team to have uh, three guys uh, go over that 30 home run mark uh, since um, uh, I believe Pujols, Roland Edmonds, if I'm correct. Uh, is that is that right? And I forget which year was it. 04 I, or I think it was oh four when uh, they. It was oh four yeah. or oh three. I think it was oh four. Uh, but this lineup, which has just looked so, just you know, limp for for just long, long, long stretches of the year. You know, it's suddenly reminding, and not just those three guys, but the whole lineup is suddenly reminding me of those early 2000s Cardinals lineup when, you know, they looked like an American League lineup and it was just, you know, guys doing damage all the way down the lineup. And, you know, you've got like, you know, Bader batting, you know, you know, seventh or wherever he's hitting on a given day. Um, you know, just, you know, destroying balls and, and doing damage to it. And it's 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 just crazy to watch. And I kind of almost I just really don't know where it came from. You know, Paul DeYoung, who's really, you know, had some. So he's had kind of a weird year batted ball wise, but he's suddenly back to, you know, looking like a really dangerous hitter. It's it's, you know, everybody not named Matt Carpenter is really, you know, looking looking dangerous on this offense. all of a sudden. Well, except for Tommy Edmond. He's been horrible. For Tommy Edmund. He's yeah. been horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's hitting in, in September 250 with a 278 on base percentage. So we need to get him as many plate appearances as possible in the leadoff spot, our, our chief out maker, uh, with a 333 yeah. slugging percentage and a uh, 265 weighted on base average, which works out to a 68 weighted runs created plus. So that's really even remarkable is Mike Schilt has hamstrung the team by continuing to play Edmund and starting him in leadoff, getting him more plate appearances than anyone else on the team. He's dead weight 
in the leadoff spot and the team is going on this magical run. It's it's really incredible when you think about it. Your leadoff hitter is yeah. batting like about as bad as you'd expect a pitcher to bat uh, during this streak. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. But uh, the Bader hot streak has been amazing because I was getting ready for the will he or won't he be about league average so we can have our annual off season. Right. <laughs> no, really right. a league yeah. average center fielder. Who's this good defensively is really valuable while people like yeah. grouse about, you know, the strikeouts and him not being good enough offensively. And then he is literally on fire right now. And, uh, you know, doing things like Sean Michaels or the NWO, uh, <laughs> it, it, I like your I, I like no you're you're right on with this wrestling thing and in fact every time he takes an extra base or steals a base I want a microphone brought out to him so he can cut a little bit of a promo while he's there because I feel like Bader's got the personality to pull it off so um, that that might be a way they could upgrade the broadcast a little bit well yes so. and this is the time of the year where the the broadcast need up upgrading in some way shape or form because we're all just a little sick of of the broadcasters by now and it's it some of it's their fault like horton's horrible you're sick of him you know the second game in april uh but like you know danny mac it's it's nothing that danny mac has done it's just you know we've we've been together for a you know <laughs> well over a hundred games right. and we need to spice it up a little bit. So now we're going to have Harrison Bader cut a promo on how the pitcher is a jabroni. And when he threw that fastball, he knew it was coming brother and he sent it over the wall. You know, and we're, even if we're not quite getting the promos, I think we've just, we've gotten so many great like moments in the dugout and moments on the bases. uh, And, we're lucky enough to have Cardinals gifts, uh, you know, saving all of them, all, you know, instantaneously for us all to share. So I feel like we've got many of those kind of crystallized for us already. So um, so I think uh, to start with today, we're going to segue into uh, we had a number of questions kind of come in from listeners. And this first one I wanted to start off with, and this wasn't really a direct question from us, but this was something that Kyle Reese had posted on Twitter, just kind of a general question I thought was interesting to kick off on and Kyle said did anybody else wake up this morning laughing about how dumb it is that this Cardinals team is the Cardinals team that won its 15th straight <laughs> so and and that's something I've been kind of thinking about a little bit as well Ben I mean where what do you think about that I mean this I don't think that you know just as we've talked about this team throughout the year I don't think we were ever saying like boy this we're on the verge of a historic team right here. So what, I mean, what does it mean that this is now a team that we're always going to associate with, you know, this achievement? Um, I, I think it's really fascinating uh, because you will recall uh, there was a lot of discussion about, is this team the most frustrating Cardinals team to watch? Right. And people were making lists and, you know, what, how would we rank these teams in our lifetimes? Right. And winning the world series seemed to play a really big role in where a team ranked. And I thought that was really curious because 2006, uh, in particular, when that team, uh, in late September got swept by the Astros was like the most excruciatingly horrible viewing experience it like that team like peaked 
you know, I don't know, probably around the end of May. And then it was a kind of a roller coaster with a, a horrifying conclusion. And I, I remember how happy the Cardinals were to thank John Smoltz when they traded for him for 2006 because he beat the Astros on the last day of the year. And the Cardinals, it, you know, that got them the division and, 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 and uh, sent them to San Diego. And it was just it was horrible. <laughs> Watching the 2006 Cardinals through the end of the regular season was horrible. And watching the 2011 Cardinals like through the end of August was horrible too. And then they went on their magical run, not quite this magical, but magical. And so the funny thing was like some of the more like conscious people who knew how baseball is were like, well, barring some magical run, which I don't think is going to (laughs) happen, you know, and then here we are, it happened. And um, it's just, it's a really interesting thing because what has happened now is this team has endeared itself to us. Uh, and yeah. part of that is the very frustrating, uh, you know, first three quarters of the season. And so now, you know, they have earned kind of this redemption and, you know, we'll see knock on wood if they qualify for the postseason, you know, how it all plays out there. Um, but it's yeah. one of those things where you just never know when a team's going to get hot and how that's going to translate. And and you can even look, you know, Tony LaRusso's Chicago White Sox got off to a really hot start and have not been very good for a long time. But it do, teams aren't, or, you know, you don't see a lot of grousing about it because they're in first place. They're going to the right. postseason but they've been a pretty middling team and they've had a lot of injuries, but they got a lot of their players back. And I, and I thought they would kind of take off. And I, I think a lot of people did and, you know, kind of take it to another level, but they have not. And it's interesting, you know, it's kind of like the player who gets off to the hot start and then just has their numbers kind of steadily decline till the end of the year. And then the player who gets off to a terrible start and then has their numbers slowly get better. Or, you know, this team is a lot like Matt Carpenter's blistering, you know, MVP last time he got MVP votes conclusion to the year. And so it's one of those things where, you know, who, who deserves what? Well, you know, I don't know. We've lived through 2006, 2011. Now we've seen the 2021 team set a franchise record for a winning streak. And it just feels like you know, the devil magic, right? Like, you know, really, I feel like the devil magic started in October of 2006. You know, I, maybe that was the first time they started casting spells or what have you, but this is just, uh, I feel like another one of those teams who has done, uh, what those other teams did and what it has in common with those teams is it has talented players and you, you knew if they all, put it together at the same time they could be dangerous and they just didn't quite do it and in 06 it was getting healthy but in 2011 it just felt like it all clicked at the right time and this year it feels like it's all clicking at the right time too yeah you know and i also one thing it just makes me think about too is i think we talk about teams and years as if they're these 
discrete things, you know, the 2006 team, the 2011 team. But I think they're almost, you know, smaller units than that. And so, you know, this uh, this run here, this this winning streak, this was kind of its own thing, you know, and this is an identity and this is something that we're going to remember. And this is this has become a you know distinct thing about this year that we're always going to remember about this team in the same way that that uh, that you know crazy Matt Carpenter uh, you know it's got to be the salsa MVP run season you know that became its own thing now that was only about you know what a month and a half two month run there but that really kind of took on it became sort of an identity of its own right there and you know those 2006 2011 teams, I mean, I think really those were just kind of, you know, good-ish teams that then happened to win the World Series. I think if those teams don't, you know, don't finish the way they finished, those teams don't have nearly the the character that we say that they do, you know. And, and like this year with all the celebrations of that 2011 team, you know, I look back at guys like, you know, Gerald Laird and Nick Punto. And it's like, really, would these guys be be characters in the Cardinals narrative? <laughs> you know, had they not won the World Series this year? No, they would have just been, you know, warm bodies that happened to pass through, but they happened to pass through at that moment. So they, you know, they've kind of risen to this significance. And so, um, you know, we've had a moment like that here. And um, yeah, and, and now we just have to really hope we can, you know, squeeze through the eye of the needle of this one game playoff and maybe see this, group continue into the end of the playoffs uh so kind of continuing on that theme uh, uh redbird nerds asked uh the pitching staff is the most intriguing part of this team hopefully going into the postseason how do you see the rotation and bullpen shaking out and what did they do with flaherty and hudson ben what do you think about that well i i think hudson is going to be a starter um because you know jake woodford God love him. You know, he's, he's not starting pitcher material for the majors. Um, well, you, you and I don't think he is, but do you think that they think that he is? Cause I'm not sure if the team thinks he is. Well, it's tough to say because like Danny Mack has been promoting Jake Woodford. I, it almost borders on well, I, being a cheerleader. I, I, I think Dan, I think Danny Mac might be his. Father. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I, I get that sense. But it's when I when when Danny Mac kind of does that, I feel like he is channeling what he has heard from folks in the organization. Um, and yeah. so, uh, you know, I I have no insider knowledge to tell me that, but I feel like he he but, tends to be high on guys you know, who have been talked up to him uh, during his conversations with folks in the organization. Um, I don't know what they would look at Jake Woodford's trajectory through the minor leagues or his time as a major leaguer and see, oh yeah, this guy is a major league starter, especially if they're going to move the fences in at, at Bush Stadium. I, you know, he... Right, but but I think, but here I think we're, we're focusing just on the postseason. Oh. So what do you think, like, like what do you think... Uh, like as a postseason rotation, what do you see? I mean, Wainwright, I think, is obviously number one, right? Yes. We're both there. Where, where do you think number two? Um, it, it pains me to say this, and, um, and it, this, of course, assumes health. Uh, but I think that number two is, is probably Lester. That's exactly what I would say. So. And it, it should 
not be him. <laughs> Uh, it, it, I would rather it be Hap than Lester if we're going with washed up lefties, uh, who you traded for at the trade deadline, uh, who don't miss a lot of bats. Um, but you know, Michaelis just, you know, he's had the injury hit, uh, issues and he has been uneven since he's returned from the injured list. Uh, I just don't see them going with him second Hudson. You know, his first major league appearance uh, since surgery, uh, he he did pretty well. But again, I, I don't think they can go with him in the second game. Now, it would be interesting if they went with Flaherty uh, as like a start, you know, the opener and then went to Hudson in game two. Um, but I think they're going with Lester. You know, they've said they're going to... They were their plan was to give Lester a start every fifth day, which is insane to me. I like why? What do you care if? Anyway, he he's just he's he's cooked and clearly cooked and and I don't understand. Well, yeah, but then I mean, there are not better options here. I mean, there it's not much. It it is kind of. uh, I'm trying to talk myself out of starting John Lester, but I think they're going to do it because all the guys in the clubhouse, you know, he's a big name pitcher. I think Nolan uh, Arenado had the quote where he's like, it's John Lester. He's a big game pitcher. I don't need to look at what his stats were with Washington to know he's going to help us win, you know? (laughs) And he, he has uh, to an extent, but uh, I think it's going to be Lester. I I think it's going to be Wainwright, number one, Lester, number two. Uh, Then maybe you do Michaelis followed by Hap to break up the lefty, the soft tossing lefties. I I mean, I don't know. What would you do? Well, I mean, so the the odd thing, I mean, so Wainwright's obviously number one. I think Lester and Hap are kind of the next, the other two that you sort of have the least question marks about, which just, I mean, again, it's so funny that we're talking about a team that we just talked about, how, like how good we feel about them going into the playoffs. <laughs> and now we're saying that those, those are the two <laughs> next two pitchers. But, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they've been starting for, you know, quite a while now and, and been, you know, fairly consistent in terms of, you know, being able to pitch into games and not not issuing walks. And, you know, I mean, there's I mean, uh, anyway, uh, because beyond them, I think it's you you run into question marks. Um, You know, Woodford, the the results have been good since he got back into the, you know, um, you know, they generally won those games. You know, he's tended to go maybe five or six innings, you know, only given up a couple runs. but you know, but the underlying stuff, I don't see enough of a difference there to really be convinced that he's he's you know much better. So I'm not really convinced that there's that much there. Um, Michaelis, I, I do think Michaelis has more you know talent, but I just when I've watched him pitch, I just I don't know that he's quite returned from injury enough that I really trust him. I still have some question marks about him, and then the whole Flaherty Hudson thing is kind of weird. I mean, the the Flaherty. Flaherty looked really not quite ready to be back pitching. And so obviously a, a, a Flaherty who's able to pitch and give you even, you know, 30 or 45 pitches of Jack Flaherty, you take that in a heartbeat and you find a way to use that. But what we saw in that first game, I don't know that we have that. Um, Dakota Hudson, who I'm not super high on, I actually 
was kind of impressed with how he looked and his slider in particular, I thought looked, looked really good. Like, um, you know, it seemed like he had pretty good control of it. it looked like a real kind of swing and miss pitch for him. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, and, and so I agree. Basically, I guess what I'm saying is with you, I think Wainwright starts the first game. I think Lester probably starts the next game. Maybe they break he and Hap up somehow, but between Woodford, Michaelis, and, and some sort of Flaherty Hudson combo, I see question marks with all of those guys personally. And I'm not quite sure how the organization kind of values them enough to know. Um, anything in the, in the bullpen worth uh, mentioning? I feel like the bullpen is looking pretty, pretty set at this point. I don't really see a lot of questions. So the, the interesting thing, you know, with the bullpen and, and what we have just talked about is, okay, if, if this is what you're going to do in the postseason, you usually go to a four person rotation. Right. And so, you know, you're leaving someone out and, you know, they go become the long man or what have you. Well, but the Cardinals are kind of leaving out three pitchers, right? Flaherty and uh, Hudson and Woodford. And so, you know, if they're going to move Flaherty to the bullpen, you know, how do they use him? And, and that's just a really interesting question. Do you use him kind of the way that La Russa used Fernando Salas uh, back in 2011 as like your, uh, your starter closer where it's like first sign of trouble, in comes Salas, you know, you get us out of trouble and then it's sort of like a reset yeah. button. Um, or do you try to use him in the late innings? Uh, and leverage that and so that's a really interesting question and then with Hudson you know I think Hudson is your first sign of trouble you bring in the reliever and get Hap or Lester out of the game and then you bring Hudson in and have him pick up where they left off Um, and maybe you do that with Woodford too and try to get two three innings out of them or what have you Um, because you have to assume that you know, Lester or Hap or Michaelis are going to have one of those guys is going to blow a tire and you're going to need to get them out. Well, and even in that, in that one game play in game, you know, which, which we know Wainwright's going to start, but if, you know, God forbid Wainwright, uh, you know, gets in trouble early as he did in his last start in Milwaukee, you know, for most of this season, the club has had, something like John Gant or Daniel Ponce de Leon in that kind of like long man mop-up role. And, you know, those guys are, are you know, but we have both been terrible as evidenced by the fact that neither one is with the organization anymore. Uh, you you would feel a lot better about Dakota Hudson potentially being a guy that if you had to make an emergency move, you know, in a really early inning coming in and, and potentially, be, you know, and obviously that's never a good situation, but you'd feel better about that than certainly so, than bringing Daniel Ponce. De oh, for sure. But let me ask you this. So what is the score when Schilt pulls Wainwright? 73 to zero. <laughs> Yes, that's kind of what I was thinking, too, is, uh, you know, what what gets Wainwright out of the single elimination game? Uh, you yeah. know, well, I think we're going to touch on this late. Maybe we should save yes. this because I think we're going to touch on these scenarios later. So let's not get too far into that. Um, so the uh, Lou Boys SC podcast asked, 
Uh, when will Schilt rest Edmund? Why does he want to burn him out for the playoffs? Today seemed like a good day for Carp or Rondone to start. At some point, I think Tommy would ask for a day off. Ben, uh, what do you think about giving Tommy Edmund well, a Well, you got to get him 700 plate appearances, right? Like, that's what we have to do. You know, he's he's he makes out at, at the highest rate, uh, you know, in on the team. Uh, so you you just you really you got to play a guy like that. And <laughs> whereas where has Ben Ben has gone the sarcastic route, I am going to come in and say, you know, I think our official party line here on the Cardinals off day podcast, we're we're. I think we're the low. Are we the low podcast on Tommy Edmond? I think we might be the low podcast on Tommy Edmond. I just looked today. Tommy Edmond currently has a 91 WRC plus. Paul DeYoung has an 89 WRC plus, and it's it's just it you know kind of boggles my mind. I just there's this narrative view of Tommy Edmond, and it really comes through in the broadcast and in kind of the the mainstream Cardinals media that. You know, Tommy Edmonds, this great, valuable player. You know, he hits all these doubles. He does all this stuff. And it's just not there. It's just it's not there in the numbers. And just if you really just, you know, I think, you know, if you look under the hood, it's, you know, he's he's not that player. Um, you know, if you look at defensive value too, Tommy Edmond is has negative value as a defender. Go on fan graphs. He has negative value as a defender. Paul DeYoung is a plus plus defender. Okay. Now, Paul DeYoung's had a really rough season and, and earlier, you know, he was, he was really scuffling. So, um, you know, but, you know, even just with the kind of turnaround Paul DeYoung's had in the last couple of weeks and the way Edmund has been struggling, you know, to this question and yeah, talking about giving Edmund some rest and especially in these last couple of weeks here with, uh, you know, the, their position pretty much wrapped up. Yeah, absolutely. I would keep, I would keep, uh, DeYoung's hot bat in there for sure. And I would give, I would give Edmund some time off, but I would be open to just doing that longer term because I'm just not convinced that Tommy Edmund is as valuable as the, the club thinks that. He well, is. in, in fairness to Edmund, uh, UZR does not like him. Uh, but some of the other metrics do, I think outs above average on baseball savant likes him pretty well. And I think defensive runs save, right. Uh, likes him pretty well uh, but let's not pretend that right. but, but, it, but it's not it's not a slam dunk that he is a, he's no. he's adding value on defense either I mean it's you really have to dig around to find where Tommy Edmonds value is well you know the the amazing thing to me that you'll hear is uh, you know and Rooney and Horton on the radio broadcast do this a lot they talk about how many doubles he has hit and, you know, I made the joke earlier about how you got to get him 700 plate appearances. He has 673 plate appearances this year. 673. So th- this is like talking about how great a uh, free throw shooter someone is because they've made all of these free throws when you've given them, you know, like 200 more attempts <laughs> than yeah. anyone else. Yeah. And I, right. I think that Edmund needs a day off a lot every time there is a right-handed starter, he should have the day off because he's a bad hitter and not a very good player. I I think he hurts the team uh, because Schilt has a fetish or something for him. It's really weird. And uh, he absolutely needs time off and the team needs him to take time off so that they have a better chance of winning uh, in particular against right-handed pitchers. Yep. All right. So, uh, Last of the questions we had here, uh, Raymond Sandejas asked, 
Can you, and this is going a little forward past the playoffs this year. Can you talk about how this street gives Mo uh, and the DeWitts an excuse to not upgrade the team this off season? <laughs> I know I'm a downer. So Ben, we'll, uh, we're mostly keeping our focus on this season in the wild card, but what do you think? Are you already uh, already looking ahead with some trepidation? Uh, no, I'm not. I, I don't think that finishing you know 15 games behind the Dodgers in the wild card or, or Giants, whoever wins the West, um, and then probably eight to ten games behind the the Brewers and the Central when it's all said and done, I the optics of just kind of standing pat and resting on the laurels of this winning streak, it it would not sit well. And I don't anticipate them doing that. And I also think, you know, you look at the attendance issues they've had, you know, they're going to have to put some of the money that they're freeing up. They're also freeing up a lot of money, which is another uh, potential PR issue where, you know, Fowler comes off the books. Carlos Martinez won't come back. Matt Carpenter's coming off the books. You know, they're, uh, Andrew Miller's coming off the books. That's a lot of money. And, you know, I'm not saying that they have to go sign someone to a $400 million contract, but <clears throat> there is a hole in the middle infield uh, at least as big as Tommy Edmond. <laughs> And uh, there's going to be a a hole or two in the starting rotation as well. And so uh, I don't think that they are going to use the winning streak as an excuse not to make moves in the offseason. I think they are going to make moves. And they're going to have to because the Giants and the Dodgers and the Brewers are the class of the National League. And they have just been head and shoulders better than the Cardinals this year. And that's, that's the reality of it. Um, and nothing that happens in September or October really, I think, would change anyone's assessment of the Cardinals and where they are and where they need to go. Well, you're a little more optimistic than I am, um, but I'm not a complete pessimist on this. I, I do think that they will upgrade the team. Um I'm I'm getting nervous that they won't. I, I agree with you. I think there's a real need to upgrade in the middle infield um, because I don't think Edmund DeYoung Sosa. I don't. That to me is not uh, uh, an answer at second base shortstop. Um, I think they need to acquire one or even two players there. Quite frankly, because um, I don't really trust any of those three guys. Um, I, I I'd like to see those guys, you know, be a part of the team. You know, be you know, be bench players, be guys who maybe are are you know fighting to work their way in, or, or maybe you know rotating their way through one spot. Um, but uh, you know, Edmund obviously the organization is just completely in love with for reasons we don't quite understand. Um, you know, Sosa has has played. Uh, you know, really, really well this season. And I think the fan base has really fallen in love with him. Um, I, I would love to see him continue to be a part of the team. I'm not sold on him as an everyday player. And and he looks to me like the kind of guy who has a season like this. And then they, they say he's the guy. And then it's two to three seasons of, you know, underperforming after that. So I'm hoping that they, you know, they, uh, respond early, but, but that's that to me, that is one of those red flag moments that, you know, Raymond's kind of mentioning here as well. And yeah, the rotation, I, I'll love to see what they're going to do there because, you know, you got, you got Wainwright, you've got Flaherty who are, you know, basically demand rotation spots. 
And, you know, Michaelis will get one, of course, because of the contract. But beyond that, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, Hudson, of course, will get a really strong shot at a, you know, rotation spot. But I mean, it's pretty up in the air beyond that. And I think they really should be looking to looking to upgrade there. And I, I hope they are. And I don't really know what their plan is. I don't I don't know if they're going to try to replicate this, you know, find the oldest left handed <laughs> men you can. Uh, you know, I don't know that this is a I, this doesn't feel like a replicatable uh, strategy going forward. Well, those those um, the the non roster invite to LeBlanc and uh, <laughs> I, I could see him yeah. doling out a few non roster invites to the uh, a player that fits or the players that fit the profile of a LeBlanc or a Hap or a Lester. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, but see, I, but, but, well, but, you know, I'll play devil's advocate because I don't know that any of these, I mean, Lester's not going to take a non-roster invite, I don't think. Oh, no, and no, so no. Not he, like, not Lester, but like, who's, right. who is... LeBlanc, yeah. you're right. But, 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 you know, I could see, for example, Lester saying he wants to play one more year and them deciding... Okay, you know it's a, you know we'll make an offer to him, but then they kind of basically lock in that rotation spot because you know that he's not going to pitch anywhere else, and they're sort of committed to it. So I anyway, I have concerns, but I'm still hopeful and optimistic. And let's not get too worried about what they might do next season yet. Instead, let's worry about what's going to happen in this one game wild card game because if folks didn't hear, the Brewers won today, so the Cardinals cannot win the division. Um, but they, um, I don't think they officially clinched the second wild card today, but I think they're, I think the magic number is actually down to one now, um, for them. So, uh, so they're going to get that second wild card. Uh, the giants currently have a two game lead on the Dodgers for that, um, for the, the, the NL West. So the Dodgers are in that first wild card position. The giants, uh, run differential is plus 197. <laughs> The Dodgers run differential is plus 247. (laughs) So we'll get to play one of those teams. Obviously, and I'm just going to bet, I'm going to start off and say, unquestionably, the best case scenario for us is the Giants and Dodgers tie, because then they have to play a one game playoff to determine who wins the division. So they have an extra game, and then the loser of that has to play us. So 100%, that's what we want to happen. Yes. So let's hope that happens. And then and then they roll in and play us. So what are you thinking? What are our kind of best case, worst case scenarios for that game? Um, well, you know, on the one hand, the worst case scenario is Max Scherzer, right? I, he's he's the Cy Young, in in my opinion, for the National League. Um, I wasn't sure if you were saying he's the Cy, like he's going to win the Cy Young this year, or you were saying he's the Cy Young incarnate. <laughs> like he's the, maybe he's both. the Cy Young award, like come to life in human form with differently colored eyes. Yes, <laughs> maybe both. I I don't know. Um, yeah, I okay. you know you he's he is so good, um, but I but I look at the the NLDS and it's. It, they call it the coin flip game, and you'll hear Mosellock refer to the play-in game as that, and it and it really is. And so, you know, if you are in the position where, and it looks like the Cardinals will be in the position to set up their rotation to start who they want oh, to yeah. start, uh, they will be able to start Adam Wainwright, assuming he's healthy. And so, 
when I look ahead to the NLDS and I look at the rotation we've just talked about, okay, I would rather play my home games at Bush and my away games in San Francisco in that larger ballpark, okay, with the rotation and the defense first approach that the Cardinals have taken than playing my road games uh, in Chavez Ravine uh, with the Dodgers because I just don't know if the way the Cardinals are set up plays as well in Dodger stadium. So it's a weird choice for you. You know, do you take the coin flip against the best pitcher in the world right now? Uh, Or, and, and then hopeful hope that you can just get through on guts and guile with Adam Wainwright and then have kind of a, a couple of ballparks that play to your strengths as a team and hope you can steal the NLDS from the Giants in part because of that? Uh, or do you take the Giants in that big ballpark for the play-in game and then go take your chances in Chavez Ravine where Scherzer's probably going to, you're going to face Scherzer twice in all likelihood if, if the series goes five games. And so uh, that is a very tough call for me. And I, I think I would rather just go with Wainwright versus Scherzer one game for all the marbles and then go take our chances uh, in San Francisco and see how that pans out. Yeah, I feel like our history against the Dodgers is better than our history against the Giants, too, for whatever that's worth, which I know as a man of science is worth nothing. But just, uh, you know, uh, historically, I feel like we've surprised some better Dodgers teams, but um, the the Giants have definitely undone us multiple times over the last over the last 10 years. Um, Yeah, it's you know, it's the one game thing is just crazy because. I feel like we, you know, we, we do get football brain a little bit when we start talking about postseason baseball and we come in and, you know, we, we start like tail of the taping, like Max Scherzer and Adam Wainwright. Right. And we come in there and, you know, it's, it's, it's a mismatch. Obviously Max Scherzer is this uh, uber elite pitcher. Adam Wainwright is a, you know, a very old man who's having a, you know, an excellent, you know, season for, you know, for him and everything. Uh, But, you know, these are, baseball players like Scherzer could go out there and it just be having a shitty night you know well, <laughs> like he has the back really issues night. you're right I mean you don't know and, and and we see that we see that happen all the time and so it's it's all and again that's why this is called a coin flip game because and I, I see people get you know like oh my gosh like well we're just gonna play one game against Scherzer like why even get in like it's a foregone conclusion it's like it's not it's literally a coin flip like it's you know who knows what's gonna go so um but uh you know assuming he goes there what's so what's the version of this game that the Cardinals win what does that what does that look like uh it's probably like three to two four to two um where you know, Scherzer makes a mistake and Goldschmidt or O'Neill hits it out of the park. And, you know, there's probably some weird base running play where the Cardinals, <laughs> you know, do what they do and fundamental their way to a run. And then maybe they scratch a runner to a cross against the bullpen and Wainwright goes eight. And then Gallegos comes in for the four out save with, you know, the bases are loaded in the bottom of the eighth because Schultz has allowed the winning run 
to get to first base, uh, like he like right. he did against right. the Braves uh, a couple years ago. Um, Wainwright has thrown 129 yes. pitches at that point. Yes, yeah. um, See, and that's it's funny because that's my one concern with Wainwright and and Schilt is, and especially in a one game playoff. I mean, it, you should be in the proverbial all hands on deck situation, and um, I just worry that he won't be because I do feel like. Schilt believes that Adam Wainwright is magic and he can always, you know, pitch a complete game and write any ship, no matter how upside down it is. And so, um, well, I mean, look, and I love Adam Wainwright and Adam Wainwright has been the best starting pitcher this team has had all season. He should absolutely start this game. But I just worry, you know, like watching that Milwaukee game, you know, earlier this year, uh, earlier this week. And, you know, and, and Wainwright was not bad in that game. He, he was getting a little bit of a tough strike zone, I think. But, you know, that's about all that it takes for him. He wasn't getting some, some calls on the corners, and it led to, uh, you know, I believe it was two walks in that first inning. Yes. And then, you know, and then he gave up a home run. And, look, Wainwright's going to give up some home runs because, you know, that's just kind of who he is at this point in time. But, you know, if he's if he's dealing the way he usually is, he might give up two solo home runs over, you know, you know, six, seven, eight innings. And that's, that's not such a big deal, but you know, the way it was in this game, you know, he gave up those two home runs and ended up accounting for, you know, five runs and just a few innings. And that's what we need to avoid here. And I, I worry about the, the version of this where it goes sour for me is, you know, Wainwright having that kind of night and Schilt not being quick enough to, that's, you know, to, to make, the that's the problem is Schilt has shown he will allow Wainwright to lose the game. Yeah. Like he trusts Wainwright so much. He will let Wainwright lose the game. Even when it's obvious to everyone watching at home and probably Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright in their heart of hearts, um, he will let Adam Wainwright lose the game. And that's, you know, that's just the reality of the situation. And it's something where you're the manager, it's your job to put the team and the player in a position to succeed. And you have to, you have to watch and you have to recognize uh, when it is that you need to take him out because he's not likely to succeed. And yeah. Schilt time and again has shown Wainwright gets to lose the game. And you know what? I think that would probably Adam Wainwright losing the game lets Mike Schilt sleep better at night than pulling Adam Wainwright and Alex Reyes losing the game or, uh, you know, Yenesis Cabrera or, uh, right. you know, an, a middle reliever, even if it's the sixth inning, you know. Right. Um, and right. so I can understand that on the one hand. On the other hand, when you're in October, the margin of error is so low. And the every out is so important and every game is so important. Obviously, the playing game, it's even more so. But you just you cannot manage that way. And I think that's something that Tony La Russa showed in 2011. And I'm actually really fascinated to see if he does it again uh, this year with the White Sox. And he it did not matter what these pitchers gave him. Uh, that season or for their career they were at the first sign of trouble they're done and you know he gave Carpenter and Jaime Garcia a little bit longer of a leash and they were the two best pitchers on the team but when it got down to hey we might lose 
if if you look like you don't have your stuff you're coming out and uh and that's because you know you don't it's not friendships it's it's not about feelings it's about winning and i i don't know if schilt has it in him to manage wainwright uh the way that he needs to uh in october well, hopefully uh, the winning streak is continuing at that point and uh, they're continuing to pile on runs and they just uh, smoke whoever it is they have to play in that one game playing game. And then we're we're talking about them uh, rolling into a, an actual series after that. So, um, Ben, uh, we're uh, just about to wrap things up here. So as we head into this uh, very last stretch of regular season games, uh, what are you going to be looking for? Um. I'm going to be looking for uh, how Hudson and Michaelis are pitching. And in particular, the walks. Hudson has had problems with walks in the past. Michaelis has has been the opposite. When he has been successful, he just does not issue many walks. And so I'm interested to see how their uh, command and control is you know, over the last several games when they get in, uh, well, Michaelis will start. We'll see how they use Hudson um, and and see kind of how they're pitching and whether there's reason to believe uh, Michaelis is returning to form or Hudson has uh, discovered and worked on and honed a little bit better command and control uh, while coming back from injury. Well, it's funny you should say that because that's exactly what I'm going to be looking for. I had written down uh, rotation clarity. Um, and yeah, I'm going to be looking at those guys and I'm going to include Flaherty in there as well. And, uh, you know, perhaps Woodford to a bit of an extent as well. I think those are all of the kind of question mark guys to me that are sort of involved, still involved in the rotation. And I'm just interested to see... Um, you know, honestly, this last week, and I know they've got the streak going, so they're going to want to keep that going. But look, they basically they've got this second wild card spot wrapped up. Um, they're basically in; their destiny is sealed. So I think it's time to, uh, you know, open the laboratory up a little bit, and you know, and play around and kind of figure out what they can do. And um, they've got some, you know, he's got some interesting pieces there to to utilize out there. Um, you know, in that bullpen and, and to have guys like Hudson and Flaherty, yeah, or even a Michaelis, you know, to potentially be guys that, you know, could these be guys who are potentially uh, coming in out of the bullpen as, you know, multi-inning guys? I think they could do some really creative things there. So I'd be interested to see if we see any any whiff of that or we at least from the the type of uh, outings these guys have um, in this last, uh, you know, week, um, you know, get a sense of what they might be able to do there. And I will say, and I know we're pretty critical of, of, of Schilt in the way that he uses some of these guys, um, you know, and I've seen some of the stats and Schilt in the second, his record over the second half of seasons is really impressive. And I, I have to admit, I feel like he really tightens it up at the end of seasons and he is a lot better about some of these things than he has been quicker with the hooks and things like this so I'll, I'll i'll end on a little bit of a more optimistic note there that you know he will be uh you know in this uh, one game playoff and then potentially in the playoffs he you know he will be quicker with the hook he'll be a little more creative in terms of how he uses some of these pieces i hope so anyway um ben do you have uh, an off day recommendation for folks um i do i really enjoyed the uh 
beautiful, fundamentally sound double play the Cardinals turned against the Cubs. Uh, a type that I, I've i been racking my brain uh, for like the last day trying to think if I've seen anything quite like it. Uh, and I just, I couldn't come up with one. Um, but uh, Katie Wu in The Athletic had, I thought, an, an, a really enjoyable article, uh, and it's called How the Cardinals Pulled Off an Unlikely Double Play en Route to Their 15 Straight Win. Uh, it was amazing. And, you know, this is, of course, the one where Harrison Bader famously wound up on the infield participating in the double play. Um, and I saw uh, a, a tweet from a Dodgers fan slash writer, Molly Knight, who described this double play as devil magic. And I was like, only a Dodgers fan would compare uh, a perfectly fundamentally sound uh, double play in response to Cub base running ineptitude as devil magic. This is just, you know, another day in the NL Central uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> uh, but it, I really, I thought the play was beautifully executed um, by everyone on the Cardinals, and I really enjoyed uh, the article on it. You know, it is a real, uh, oh my gosh, is that Harrison Bader's music moment <laughs> when Harrison Bader comes in yes. <laughs> to cover second base with, You're not with a steel chair with, yep. <laughs> All right. Well, my recommendation is uh, considerably longer, but it's a absolutely, I, I'm going to tell you, Ben, I think this might be my favorite baseball book of all time. Uh, it's a brand new book I just finished reading. It's uh, Our Team, The Epic Story of Four Men and the World Series That Changed Baseball by uh, Luke Eplin. This book just came out in the last uh, year or so. Um, I, I cannot recommend this book highly enough. Um, Luke actually is a St. Louis guy, and I know he's a Cardinals fan, um, but... Um, this is a uh, book is basically the story of it's, it's centered around the 1948 Cleveland Indians. And the, the four men are Larry Doby, Satchel Page, Bob Feller and Bill Vec. So you'd be hard pressed to find four more interesting characters there. But it really kind of weaves the stories of their lives and how they came together at that moment in time um, on this team, which which ultimately uh, goes on to win the World Series. But it's 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 just unbelievably fascinating. I could say so many things about it. Um, you know, so often uh, the Jackie Robinson story is kind of the story of like the breaking of the color line. And, and obviously that's a, that's a very important story, but it, it you know, it kind of gets overtold. I think there's some kind of like, you know, sort of white savior aspects that get woven into the Jackie Robinson story that are a little, you know, problematic at times, you know, this is a much more, I think, a richer and interesting story about what did integration really look like in baseball. And, and, and uh, there's so many aspects of it that are fascinating to me, but one of them that was so interesting to me, just as I'm reading it, I, I realize as I'm reading the book, I'm like, you know, I know that Satchel Paige pitched for the Indians, you know, when he was, uh, you know, in his forties and, you know, was like, you know, the rookie of the year. Uh, but I was like, how good was he? Like, was he good? Like, I honestly didn't really know. Like, I, you know, I didn't know that much about him. And of course, through reading this, I find out that basically, you know, Vec brought him onto the team midseason just for that reason, because he was literally the best available pitcher. And he came in and, uh, you know, kind of saved their season at a point where it was kind of, you know, floundering and was a, a dominant starting pitcher for, you know, a month or so. And then later kind of pitched out of the bullpen and was, you know, really strong there. And, um, you know, it's really interesting. One, and one of the things I love that Eplin does as well is 
you know, his take on this material, it's a really kind of modern, you know, take on some of this. Um, and so like, um, and, but he's looking at, you know, historic sources. So like something that, you know, one of the sources he looks at points out um, that I thought was really fascinating is this idea that, you know, Dobie and Robinson, when, you know, when they broke the color barrier, these were, these were young men. So it didn't really challenge the, basically what an evil institution, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the barring of African-Americans had been, but when page came into the league and was successful, it absolutely did because for this, you know, this man who was, I believe 43 at the time he came in to come into the league and still be a dominant pitcher. It absolutely showed that, you know, this, this unbelievably skilled person had been you know, barred and, and had his pretty much his whole career prevented from competing here just strictly because of racism. And the book just really explores some things like that. It's really interesting. The title, Our Team, really gets at this idea that this is really one of the first teams that's that's got, you know, a significant uh, African-American fan base, significant white fan base kind of, you know, coming together for the team. Uh, anyway, it's just a, a fascinating, fascinating book. You know, Feller is just a fascinating, like, character. Um, Bill Veck, I mean, of course, you know, I mean, I could read anything about Bill Veck. Anyway, on and on and on. Our team, an amazing baseball book. Um, you're not going to be able to read the whole thing on this off day, but I would pick it up and start reading it or, or at least put it on your kind of off-season list to uh, to get to as well. So anyway, Ben, uh, anything else for the good of the order before we uh, wrap it up? No. Go Cardinals. Enjoy. Uh, we should all uh, bask in this and enjoy it. Uh, and also keep in mind we're nearing the end of Mike Shannon's days on the radio broadcasts. Uh, so you might want to hop over and listen to that audio a little bit uh, during uh, a game where he's on the call. Absolutely. I could not agree with that more. So let's, uh, yeah, let's enjoy some Cardinals baseball with uh, Mike Shannon, if at all possible. And we'll see you guys on the next Cardinals off day.